Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. So we started preaching on prayer, and all every Sunday we're not going to be specifically preaching on prayer, but we are going to look, as we go through Scripture, we're going to look at aspects of prayer and how that applies to our prayer life. And really, the point of this entire year is to grow our faith and to help us develop a, a better, uh, more passionate, more effective prayer life. Prayer is one of the things that, that believers struggle with the most, even uh, believers who read their Bible faithfully, uh, their prayer life uh, sometimes struggles because um, it's very religious, it's very mundane, it's not very powerful, or it's lacking because they don't really see prayers getting answered. And so we've got our impossible prayer board up, and I encourage you next week uh, to put your impossible prayer uh, requests on the impossible prayer board. And I'm just really looking forward to as the year goes by, seeing these prayers be answered and move from the request column to the answered column. But before we get into the message and before we get any deeper, I want to open us up in a word of prayer. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive right in. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be done before 12 this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you so much for the, the day you've given us. God, we are grateful uh, that even today with the, the weather uh, being as bad as it is, that, Lord, we can still gather together and worship you, that we can still, uh, Lord, open your word, uh, hear from heaven, and learn about you. God, I pray that even now, uh, those who are watching uh, on Facebook now, those who will watch later or listen to the podcast later in the week, that, God, you, you would do a work in their hearts and their lives, that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would begin to speak to their hearts and would, Lord, help them to, Lord, draw closer to you, help them, Lord, to grow their faith as they learn how to pray effectively to you. God, I pray that right now you would fill me with your spirit, that, Lord, you would speak through me. God, help me to say what needs to be said, what should be said, and God, help me not to say what I should not say, but, Lord, help everything that's said and done bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so go ahead and get get your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 32. I'm going to uh, have the chat up here uh, so I can see everyone who's uh, talking and listening and watching. And again, we are so, so glad that everyone's here uh, with us. And I, I know uh, I have recently talked very bad about Facebook Live. And honestly, on a regular Sunday I do Facebook Live. We have people who watch all over the world. Uh, we have people who are legitimately shut in and, and can't get to church and still want to worship with us. But for generally, for just the regular believers, I think it's a, a crutch to keep us from getting to the house of the Lord and worshiping. But on days like this where we can't get to church, I, I do enjoy the benefit of still being able to bring you the word of the Lord. So in Exodus chapter 32, again, we're in our third week of our series uh, we've entitled Just Ask. And if you look at all the teachings of the Bible on prayer, you can boil it down to that, those two words, just ask. Um, and we, we've looked at, for the last two weeks, we've looked at really two of the biggest obstacles that we as believers have to uh, prayer, to being faithful in our prayers, to really uh, praying effective prayers. The first one was our prayers aren't being answered. And we're going we're gonna to look a little bit more at that this morning. But then, of course, last week we looked at the fact that a lot of people, we just don't know how to pray. Uh, we're not really sure what to do. Religion has taught us a lot of different things, like you've got to have a place, you've got to have a time, you've got to have a list, and all those things are good uh, if they help you have effective prayer. I know the Bible teaches about having a prayer closet. We all need to have a place and it doesn't have to be a closet. Uh, it can be just a car. It can be the way. It can be wherever. But a place where we can get alone with the Lord, just so we can pray openly and honestly. Uh, we 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 have trouble praying uh, in groups because we really don't want to uh, embarrass ourselves or open up ourselves. But when we're praying and we're praying privately, we can open up to God and be faithful to God and let because God knows everything about us. 
Uh, you do need a, a time to pray. It is good to have a scheduled time where you're faithfully talking to God, but you can pray at other times. Uh, if your prayer time is 7 o'clock in the morning and something comes up at 1130, you can stop and pray. Uh, you can pray to God whenever. God's our Father. We can approach Him whenever with whatever is bothering us. But this morning, we're going to look at probably one of the, the biggest questions about prayer and one of the biggest obstacles we have to faithfully praying. And that is, what role do our prayers have in changing the mind of God? Here's another way to put it. Does prayer actually work? Does prayer really change anything? Now, the Bible tells us throughout Scripture that God's plans and God per God's purposes uh, are eternal. They're set. God knows everything from the beginning of time until eternity. Uh, nothing surprises God. Nothing shocks God. God has a plan that he put in place in eternity past, and it's going. he's going to do what he needs to do to see it through until eternity ends, which, of course, is never. So nothing surprises God. God's plans are unchangeable. God's plans are unstoppable. So does that mean that prayer doesn't do anything, that prayer doesn't change the mind of God. It doesn't change the plans of God. So is prayer meant for us to change God's plan or for God to change our plan? C.S. Lewis says this. He says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. It doesn't change God. It changes me. So is that what prayer is? Is prayer something that we do to change us or does prayer actually change the future? Does prayer actually change our circumstances? Does prayer actually change the mind of God? There's a story in Exodus chapter 32 that, that answers this question. And it, it, it shows us uh, a very powerful truth to help us understand what is happening when we deal with unanswered prayers. Because we all have prayers that we have prayed to God Faithfully, I'm not talking, you know, and I've talked before about people who when the lottery gets up, they're like, pray that I win the lottery and they don't win. I'm not talking about the pray my team wins the Super Bowl prayers that don't happen. I'm talking about prayers that we think are are in the will of God. They're, they're good prayers. Pray for, maybe you've prayed for someone to be healed. You had a loved one who was sick and you, you prayed fervently and faithfully for God to heal them, believing that God was going to heal them, but they died anyway. Uh, maybe you've prayed for someone to be saved. You had a loved one who was lost, had not accepted Christ as their Savior. And for years, you prayed for them to be saved, for God to send someone to witness to them and to show them the truth of the gospel that they may be saved. And as far as you know, they died without accepting Christ as their Savior. And these are, these are good prayers. These are prayers that, thinking about it, they line up with the will of God. And a lot of people who have walked away from Christ have done so because of unanswered prayers. A lot of believers who have had their faith damaged, it has been damaged because of unanswered prayer. So this morning as we, we look at this, this topic, does prayer change anything? Does prayer really matter? I want to ask and answer two questions, and here's the first one. The first question is, does God change his mind? Can our prayers change the mind of God? Well, in Exodus chapter 32, uh, the story right now, Moses is, is on Mount Sinai. He has been used by God to lead Israel out of captivity in Egypt. They've been in the desert now for 40 days. They've arrived at Mount Sinai, and Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai to meet with God and to receive the Ten Commandments. Now, the entire nation of Israel was invited to go. This wasn't just Moses was chosen to go when he was the only one. The entire nation was invited to go meet with God, but they didn't want to because they were scared. 
They didn't trust God yet. I mean, they, they just spent 400 years in captivity. And yes, they've seen God do some great things, but they, they haven't learned to trust him yet. So they don't want to go. They stay down and they send Moses up to Mount Sinai to meet with God by himself. Now, Moses is up there for 40 days, but he's up there for longer than Israel expected him to be gone. They didn't expect him to be gone that long, and they're down at the foot of the mountain. They're, they're looking up at the top of the mountain, and they see, God, they see the, the presence of God. They see this incredible storm uh, with lightning and thunder and, <clears throat> sorry, just all these, these things going on. And so they think, well, one of two things has happened. God has killed Moses, and he's abandoned us, or Moses and God have have left us. And this is completely irrational. Uh, I mean, just over a little over 40 days ago, God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt by sending 10 incredible plagues that just decimated the nation of Egypt. Uh, and after the plague of the firstborn, the, the Passover... Uh, God led, opened, uh, broke the heart of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh lets them go. But they don't just leave Egypt free. As they're leaving, all the, the wealthy people in Egypt come out and give them all their, their gold, their jewels, their, their rubies and silver. And so they are leaving Egypt free, but they're also leaving Egypt burdened down with the, the wealth of Egypt. Then, of course, they, they get to the Red Sea, and God changes the heart of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh gets his army together, and they're chasing after Israel, and Israel is pinned between these two mountain ranges and the Red Sea, and they got this the most powerful army in the world at the time bearing down on them, and it's an impossible situation. And God, of course, puts a pillar of fire up to protect them. He's been leading them by a pillar of smoke by day and protecting them with a pillar of fire by night, and this pillar of fire keeps Egypt from getting to them. And then, of course, he divides the Red Sea and they walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then as they get to the other side, they turn around and watch as God closes up the Red Sea and destroys the entire uh, Egyptian army. God feeds them uh, in the desert. He gives them water in the desert. God has delivered them. God has protected them. God has provided for them. And now, because Moses is taking longer than they think, they're like, well, God's left us. God's abandoned us. And so they're, they're, th think about why God is mad at them. I mean, this, this is why God gets angry at them. This is why God gets frustrated with them. Because he's done already, he's done so much. And even now, now for the next 40 years, what's going to happen? But for these 40 days, they're wandering through the desert. Their, their shoes don't get worn. Their clothes don't get worn. God's just done everything for them. And now they're, they're doubting him. That is why God is so upset. And look, <coughs> we do the same thing. As Israel, we doubt God. We doubt his protection. We doubt his provision. We even doubt his love despite all the good things God has done for us. Israel, they're, they're blind. They are ungrateful. They are unbelieving. And so since Moses has gone too long, they take off all the gold and jewelry that they have that Egypt gave them as they left, that God has provided. They take off all their gold, they take off all their jewelry, and they melt it down to make two golden calves that they are going to worship as their God. So in uh, Exodus chapter 32, look at verse number 7. Bible says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou boughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Now, wait a minute. Who bought them out of Egypt? It wasn't Moses. Now, Moses was the man God used to lead them out of Egypt, but God is the one who brought them out of Egypt. God's the one who delivered them. God's the one who, who sent the plagues to, to punish Egypt and to break the heart of Pharaoh to get them out of Egypt. So God brought them out of Egypt. But then also God says, get down to your people. Whose people are they? They're not Moses' people. Moses had been 
away from is from the people of Israel for 40 years. Even before that, he was in Egypt with Israel, but he was raised in the, the palace as a, a child of Pharaoh's daughter. So he really wasn't part of Israel. So they're not his people. They're, they're God's people. What is happening here is this is like what happens with most parents. Uh, me and April do this a lot. When one of our kids, uh, usually Lexi, uh, does something bad or does something that's just really irritating us, we say, guess what your daughter did? April will say that to me. I'll say that to her. Now, she's still my daughter. She's still April's daughter. But we're just, we're so frustrated with her. We're like, she's yours right now. She's not mine. She's yours. That's what God's doing. God's like, I'm so frustrated with these people. I am so irritated by these people. I'm not even going to claim them. Yeah, they're mine. I brought them out. I did all the work. I got them here, but I don't have anything to do with them. So look what Moses says in verse number 10. <clears throat> he says, Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. So God, he says, Look, your, your people... Uh, they're yours now. They've rebelled against me. I don't want them. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to destroy the nation of Israel, and I'll make a new nation through you. Look what Moses says in verse 11. And Moses brought the uh, besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does thy wrath wax hot against thy people? Again, he says, they're your people, God. Why, does it, why are you so mad at your people, which you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? So, Moses is very quick after God says, Look, your people are, are doing this. You brought them out here. They're your people. I'm going to destroy them. Moses said, is quick to remind God, hey, God, they're not mine. They're yours. You're the one who bought them out of Egypt. You're the one who has redeemed them. They are your people. God, you freed them. You led them. It, it seems like Moses is rebuking God which is, is kind of a gutsy thing to do. I don't, I don't know if, I don't have the, the courage to try to rebuke or try to correct God. Uh, he's correcting him twice in the same sentence. And look at verse number 12. We're going to read down through verse number 32. Wherefore, so again, he goes, you know, why, why are you going to do this to your people? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief, did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Calling God to repent. Probably not something I would do. Um, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I will give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. And Moses turned and went down to, from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The table was written on both their sides, on the one side and on the other side were written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said unto Moses, This there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but it is the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh into the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' ang Moses's anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it into powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people, what did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of the Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, he what not that is we we do not we don't know what has become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever has gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast into the fire, and there came out this calf. And Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies. 
And then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who was on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go out from the gate uh, to gate and throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell on the peop of the people that day about 3,000 men. For Moses said, Consecrate yourselves to the today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord, and I will go into the Lord, and peradventure I shall make atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, O this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me out, I pray thee, out of the book which thou hast written. So Moses, he, he goes down uh, to the camp where Israel's waiting. He sees the sin that's going on, and he gets as mad as God got. He throws down the, the Ten Commandments that God has just written with his hand. He melts down these golden calves and makes the people drink the ash from it. He gathers the Levites and says, anyone that's uh, opposed to God, just kill them, and 3,000 people die. And then Moses goes back up to the mountain, and he says, God, your people have sinned incredibly, but I'm asking you to forgive them. I'm asking you to be merciful to them. And if you can't, I want you to blot out my name. I want you to kill me and be done with me as well. So God, Moses, is asking God to change his mind based on the promises of God. Look again uh, down at verse number 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants. He goes, look, you made these promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and you promised to make Abraham's family greater than the stars and greater than the sands of the sea. You've promised to give them this land that flows with milk and honey. You cannot go back on your word. And then verse 14, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. That phrase, God repented of the evil, has always kind of bugged me. God's not evil. Nothing God does is evil. And why would, would God change his mind based on what Moses does? So Moses, he, he, he doesn't, he's not reminding God of something he forgot. He's not going to God and say, hey, God, don't forget. Don't forget what you said because God can't forget. So does, does God really change his mind? Well, it seems like it. But then you look at, Numbers chapter 32, 23, verse 19. Moses, speaking in Numbers, says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. So, Numbers 32, written by Moses under the inspiration of God, says, God cannot change his mind. But then in Exodus 32, written by Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says God changed his mind. So is this a contradiction? Can God change his mind or can God not change his mind? Now, what, what we need to understand here is, first of all, this, anytime we look in a Bible and we see something that looks like a contradiction, it's not a contradiction. Either we aren't understanding it correctly or we just haven't really, we, we really don't know the truth. And so these, these questions like that, they're not problems to be solved. They're truths that need to be cherished by us. So to answer the question, does God change his mind? I want to look at three things. First of all, we want to see the truth that God's purposes are unchanging. God's purposes are unchanging. Now, Numbers 23, Moses tells us God is not a man. God doesn't learn anything new. 
you know, there's that saying, has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? So God doesn't learn new truths or learn new facts that cause him to change his mind. But it's not just in Numbers 30, 23 we see that. We see that all throughout Scripture in Isaiah chapter 46. Bible says, I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my good pleasure. Ephesians chapter 1, written by the Apostle Paul, says, in him we have received an inheritance, being predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Moses, Isaiah, and Paul are the most significant Bible writers. And they all say the same thing. God never changes his mind because God's purpose never changes. The purpose that God is doing in the world never changes. But what about his plans? His purpose is the same, but do his plans change? Well, that brings us to the second truth God's plans are unfolding through our lives. Now, the story in Exodus 32, it, it tells us that God changed the course of his action based on the prayer of Moses. So, because God, remember, God, even in the, the story, God's purpose didn't change. He goes, I'll wipe them out and I'll start a new nation with you. I, I will keep my purpose I'll just change my plan. And then Moses prays to God and God changes his mind. God changes his plan because Moses prayed. But did he really? Did Moses really change the mind of God? Now, God, remember back in the story, God told Moses, go down and check on your people. Go down and and see what they're doing. God knew what was going on. God knew that they had taken their gold and made golden calves. God knew that they had lost faith in him and said, he's abandoned us, let's find new gods to worship. God knew what was happening, but Moses had to see it. Moses had to see how far the people had gotten from God. Now, before he goes to see it, Moses just reminds God of his promises. But again, God didn't forget his promises because God can't. God can't forget anything. That's why people say, you know, when you get saved, God forgets all your sins. God does not forget your sin. God chooses not to remember them. There's a difference. He can't forget them. He's all-knowing. <clears throat> He's eternal. So he can't forget your sin, but he chooses not to remember them, meaning he chooses not to hold them against you. So God put Moses in a situation where Moses would see the problem, would remember the promises of God, and would petition God based on those promises promises. God wanted Moses to ask. God wanted Moses to pray this prayer. So in his sovereignty, he puts him in a situation where he will. He puts him in a situation where he sees the problem. He remembers God's promises and he petitions God based on the promises of God. So that leads us to the third truth that we see. Not only are God's purposes unchanging, not only is God's plan unfolding in our lives, <clears throat> but thirdly, our prayers are instrumental. Our prayers are instrumental in the plan of God. Without, so here's a question. If Moses wouldn't have prayed, if Moses would have said, you know what, God's going to do what God's going to do. I'm not going to get involved. Would God have destroyed Israel? I don't know. <coughs> Sorry, I got tickled on my throat. But I do know that prayer was instrumental to change 
God's action. So that raises a question. If Moses didn't pray, would it have been God's will to not save them? Was God's will, was God's will to not destroy Israel or God's will to destroy Israel, was it based on the faith and the obedience of Moses? And if, if so, what does that mean for us? If Moses didn't have enough faith to pray to God and God did destroy Israel, what does that mean for us? If we fail to pray for something that God wants us to do, does that mean it's not God's will after all? Would God, in that situation, would God have just gotten someone else to pray? Because remember, Israel's down the mountain, but Moses and Joshua are up on the mountain. If Moses wouldn't have prayed, would God have gone to Joshua and said, Hey, Joshua, here's a situation. <coughs> Try to put him in there to pray it. And now, here's the things. Those are the wrong questions to ask. The Bible never teaches us to question the will of God that way. The Bible never teaches us to think about the will of God that way. I'm going to, before I explain a little further, I want to give you a great quote by a theologian, A.A. A. Hodge. He says this. He says, does God know the day that you're going to die? Yes. Has he appointed that day? Yes. Can you do anything to change that day? No. Then why do you eat? You eat to live. What happens if you don't eat? You die. Then if you don't eat and die, then would that be the day that God had appointed for you to die? Here's the great part of that quote. Quit asking stupid questions and just eat. Eating is the preordained way God has appointed for living. And that just brings us a lot of questions. You know, a lot of people ask these questions, well, you know, God knows the day I'm going to die. God's numbered my days. So I can do whatever I want to do. And if it's not my, I can jump off a building. And if it's not my day to die, God's going to save me. No. Remember the story when Jesus was tempted by Satan? Satan took him up on a high, high building and said, jump off. Because God said he's not going to let you stump your toe. Basically, he was saying, look, God's not going to let you die until, it, until it's time. And what did Jesus say? Don't tempt the Lord your God. So you can say, oh, well, if I jump off a building and die, that must have been my day. No, no, you still have free will, and you can still do these things. And so what, what, what the Bible is teaching us here is Moses, he doesn't dwell on the unchangeable purposes of God. He doesn't dwell on the situation like, okay, well, if God does destroy Israel, is he going to, I'm 80 years old. I mean, I know he gave Abraham children at 100, but, you know, I, I, I guess he's going to have to start over with me and it's going to be a different situation. He didn't dwell on the unchangeable purposes of God. He dwelled on the unchanging promises of God. So here's the takeaway. Here's what I want you to understand. This is what I'm trying to say. God has sovereignly placed you in the situation that you are in. Whatever you're facing, whatever burden you're carrying, God has sovereignly put you in that situation so you can pray the promises of God. God puts you in pain, not, not to change his mind, but to change your perspective. As we pray his promises, we see his goodness. We see his faithfulness. We see his power. We see his love for us. So let that sink in. God puts his people in situations so we can claim his promises. Your situation, whatever you're facing, is a divinely appointed opportunity for you to claim the promises of God. They are divine invitations to call on God's promises so you can see his promises in action. Why did God put you in the family that you're in? To pray. Why did God put you in the job that you're in? To pray. Why did God give you that health problem that you're struggling with? To pray. You are where he wants you to be 
so you can obey him and pray for the things that he wants you to pray for. He wants you to see the problem, to believe the promise, and to release his power into the situation. Now, a lot of people, and I've told you this before, myself included, they struggle with the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. And if God is sovereign and God is going to do what's best for me in any situation, and God knows if beginning to, from the, the beginning from the end, and God knows uh, what to do to fulfill his plan and his purpose, then what does it matter if I pray? If God's sovereign, it doesn't matter that I pray. But the opposite is true. See, God sovereignly puts you in the places he has as an instrument of his power. And that should motivate us to pray. God puts you in some situations so you can pray, so you can see his kingdom come, and you can see his will be done. David Platt, uh, on this passage in Exodus 32, he says this, When we pray, we take our God-given place and use our God-ordained privilege to participate with him in the acknowledgement of his purposes on the earth. Moses knew the promises of God. Moses knew what heaven wanted, and he prayed to that effect. That's why his prayer got answered. Because he wasn't praying his will, he was praying God's will. He wasn't praying what he wanted, he was praying what God wanted to do in the first place. So that brings us to our second question. What if you're doing everything right? You're, you're praying according for God's will. You're praying for God's kingdom. You're claiming the promises of God, but your prayers still aren't being answered. What do you do in those situations? How, how do we answer those questions? I'm doing everything right, but my prayers still aren't answered. Well, I'm going to give you five reasons that that, is, that could be true. And the first one is rough. The first reason, you may be doing everything right, praying right, praying the promises, waiting on God to move and your prayers still aren't getting the answer. The first reason may be because you're not right with God. Because you have sin in your life. Now, I hate to start there, but the promises of God only extend to those who are walking in fellowship with him. You have to be on the mountain with God. God, Bible tells us, God does not hear the prayers of unbelievers. The only prayer God hears from an unbeliever is the prayer of salvation. And I'm not, there's not a salvation prayer you got to pray, but it's that, that first cry out to God to accept the God hears that prayer, and then they become, they become a child of God, and they are open to pray to God. But non-believers, people who don't believe in God, who aren't saved, they don't get their prayers answered. Now, circumstances may work out where it seems like it is. That's just circumstantial evidence, but God doesn't hear their prayer. God also doesn't hear the prayer of his children who are living in sin. David said, if you have iniquity in your heart, if you have unconfessed sin in your life, God will not hear you. So you're praying, you're praying, you're praying, and nothing's happening. One reason may be you have unconfessed sin in your life. Now, that's the first, and again, if it's not my place to look at someone's life and say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to use April because she's in the bedroom watching. April's been praying and God's been answering her prayer. She must have sin in her life. That's not my place. God said, don't judge, judge not unless you're judged. So it's not my place to look at her and say, oh, God's not answering your prayer because of sin. That's for you to see. So you need to look at yourself and say, God, is there sin in my life that is keeping me from having my prayers answered? But that's just the first reason. Second reason is sometimes you, something in you needs to change. Not, I'm not, now I'm not talking about sin, but something in you needs to change. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because we are asking with the wrong motive behind our prayer. See, Bible says in James chapter <coughs> 4, verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your passion. See, sometimes God delays to work in your life. Sometimes God delays his answer to our prayer 
because he wants to work on your heart. He wants to make sure that your motives are the right. Are you praying for his kingdom or are you praying for your kingdom? See, in Exodus, God wasn't telling Moses your people because he forgot they were his. He wanted Moses to see them as God saw them. He wanted Moses to care for them like God cared for them. He wanted Moses to love them in such a way that he was willing to give his life for them. He wanted Christ-likeness in Moses as well as deliverance for Israel. God's first goal in your prayers is to purify you, and sometimes that happens by not answering you. But here's the third reason you may not get your prayers answered. Your prayers don't align with God's will. Here's a great phrase uh, I've read in a book I'm reading on prayer. Prayers that start in heaven are the ones that are heard by heaven. If we are praying our will, God's not going to answer not going to answer those prayers unless they line up with his will. 1 John 5:14 says, "This is the confidence that we have in him that if we if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us." So if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have whatever we ask of him. Sometimes God doesn't answer your prayers because they don't line up with his will. Now, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. A lot of times we're praying prayers that are good prayers. They're not, they're not selfish prayers. They're not evil prayers. They're good prayers, but they're, just, they're not lined up with God's will. So it doesn't mean there's something wrong with us. It just means that sometimes we get it wrong. And we should trust God enough to pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That's what Moses prayed in the garden. You know, the garden of Gethsemane, the night before his arrest and crucifixion, he is, he is praying to God to find another way. He says, God, I know what's coming. And look, a lot of people say, oh, well, he knew the punishment he was going to take. He knew the scourge. He knew the pain he was going to face, and he didn't want to go through that. I don't believe that at all. I believe Jesus knew that for a brief time, the sin of mankind would be placed on him, that he would become sin. And when he became sin, fellowship between him and the Father would be broken for a little bit. And he didn't want that fellowship broken at all. So he's, he's praying and he's sweating great drops of blood. And he says, God, if there's another way, do it. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to have us separated for even a, a moment. So, Lord, find another way. But if not, I don't want my will. I want yours to be done. That's the prayer of faith. That we can pray whatever we want. God, give me this job. God, heal this person. God, do whatever you need, whatever I'm asking. But God, whatever you do, I'm submitting my will to your will. Here's a fourth reason your prayers may not be answered. Our prayers bypass God's process. Our prayers bypass God's process. God has a process that he uses in the natural world to accomplish his will. The universe is, is set up and, and runs according to natural law. Because of that, miracles are rare. That's why they're miracles. But they do happen. Here's what I'm talking about. God doesn't often rewrite the laws of nature because of prayer. He can. He has. But he doesn't do it all the time. Here's an, here's an example. In the Old Testament, Joshua, Moses is dead. Israel's taken over the, is conquering the promised land, and they're, they're in a battle. And they're defeating their enemies. The enemies are on the run, but the sun's going down. And when it gets dark, the battle's over. But the enemy's not completely defeated. So Mo, Joshua goes to God and says, God, stand the sun still until the battle's won. And God did it. Joshua prayed. And God violated the laws of nature and made the sun stand still until the job was done. God can and God has done that, but he only did it once. 
He hasn't done it again. The sun's not stood still because somebody prayed for it again. So sickness, tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, they are part of the sinful world that we live in, and God doesn't often stop them. He can, he has, but it's not all the time. Why? So that, that's why God doesn't answer prayers of, of people about their sports team. The national champion is not based on who has the greatest prayer ministry. It's based on who has the most talent, who has the best coach, and God can change things and let an underdog win, but he, he doesn't because it, it violates his process. Now, this extends to the spiritual realm as well. You can pray, God, tonight appear to everyone in Afghanistan, show them that you're the true God, and Lord, have them accept you as their Savior. Can God do that? Of course God can do that. Does that line up with God's will? Of course it lines up with God's will. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, yeah, that's a prayer for God's kingdom, lined up with God's will, but God's probably not going to answer that because it violates his process. God's process for the people of Afghanistan to be saved is not for him to appear in the sky and deliver them a message. It's for his church and his people to share the gospel with those who need to be saved. He could appear to everyone, but it's, it's not how he works. He, he uses us to share the gospel. Also, it goes against free will. You know, everyone has free will to accept or reject God. That's not on us. We deliver the gospel. We give them the truth, and it's up to them to decide if they're going to accept it or not. We have the responsibility to give it to them, but they have the choice to accept it or reject it. But it also, not only in the spiritual realm, but also in the, the practical realm. You may be praying for God to deliver you from a situation. Maybe you have a, a besetting sin you're struggling with. You're in a, a some very difficult situation. You're praying for God to deliver you from this situation, and God doesn't because God, his purpose, his process, is to use that situation for his glory. Think of the Apostle Paul. He goes to God in the book of Corinthians. He says, God, I've got this thorn in my flesh. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was, and it doesn't matter what the thorn in the flesh was. But Paul goes to God and says, God, there's this problem I have that is, is, is and he, he didn't go to God saying, God, it hurts, I don't want it. He goes, God, it is hindering me from serving you to the best of my ability. It is keeping me from doing more for your kingdom. So, great Prayer, it's not praying, God, I don't want this thorn because it hurts, but God, this thorn is, is keeping me from giving you glory. It's keeping me from building your kingdom as well as I could, so Lord, please take that, that, that away. Great prayer, lined up with God's will, but God didn't do it because God wanted him to see his pain and realize that he needed to rely on the power of God. God was using his pain to show Paul his weakness so he could rely on God more. He could trust in the strength of God. So maybe God's not answering your prayer because it doesn't line up with his process in the world. But there's a fifth reason that God may not be answering your prayer. And here's the last one. God may not answer your prayer because God is delaying answering your prayer until he returns. In the book of Revelation, uh, God, John, of course, gets this vision of heaven and he sees this bowl that is full of the prayers of God's saints that they prayed to God while on earth that God had not answered yet. Now, these saints are dead, but God is still going to answer their prayers. Many of the prayers were prayers for relief, prayers for healing, that God has promised he will answer in eternity. 2 Corinthians 1 for all the purposes of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. When God wipes away all tears, all of our bodies will be healed. 
We will be restored. We will be delivered from pain and brokenness and sickness and broken relationships. Our desires will be fulfilled. Our relationships will be restored. The prayers for healing that we give on earth now will be answered then. Now, that's five reasons that God may not be answering your prayers when you think that he should. But I want to go back to the story. I want to get back to, to Exodus chapter 32 because this shows us why, shows us what we should never assume when our prayers are going unanswered. Israel assumed God had delayed and God had abandoned them because that's all they had known. For 400 years, God had been silent, so they thought, well, God's left us, God's abandoned us, it's all over now. That's all they'd ever known. But there is a parallel between Moses, what Moses did for Israel, and what Jesus did for us. See, Moses stood in the gap between God's righteous anger and the sin of the people. Jesus stood in the gap between God's righteous anger and us. Moses offered to give his life instead of allowing Israel to be destroyed. Now, the only difference is Moses offered to give his life. Jesus gave his life. Jesus willingly went to the cross, became sin for us, died for us, was buried in the borrowed tomb, and then rose three days later to reconcile us and redeem us to God the Father. Jesus is the mediator that died to give us life. So, what, what this shows us is when we feel alone, when we feel abandoned in prayer, it's not because God has left us. Because God has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And because we know that truth, because of that, I know that God hears me when I pray. And because I know God hears me when I pray, I can leave my request at his feet. I can trust that whatever he is doing is good for me. It's his will, his plan, his purpose, and his process, which is always better than mine. You are not alone. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.